I think that it's the most important thing that somebody can do is learn how to live a really happy life. Exactly what you're saying, like treating the feelings that we're having instead of having sugar numb you and then make you feel worse. We don't think about it in that way, right? Because we think really short term when we're having an urge. I want to fix this right now. I'm not thinking about how this is adding to the story of me not being able to, to break out of this relationship. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today, we are talking about sugar. Did you know that consuming sugar causes the brain to release dopamine, the same neurotransmitter linked to cocaine usage? It literally boosts you into a momentary high, drops you like a ton of bricks, and leaves you craving more. A dangerous cycle for sure, and many of us can relate to being stuck in the sugar-craving tailspin. Now, the World Health Organization first recommended that adults reduce sugar consumption to only 10% of our daily energy intake in 1989, and then again in 2002. And most recently in 2016, they are suggesting that it be further reduced to 5% of our energy intake every single day. This means that we as a global population have been ignoring their warning signs for almost two decades. Excess sugar consumption is very dangerous. That and the food industry, and don't even get me started on the food industry, they have become increasingly stealthy in how they've added hidden sugars to everyday foods. Almost 75% of the foods on the shelves at the grocery store contain added sweeteners. They know that consuming excess amount of sugar will make you crave that product even more, so they continue to find crazy amazing ways to hide sugar in plain sight. Super, super devious. So how do we begin to address the sugar addictions and cravings? Well, today I am bringing on a special guest, Molly Carmel, who is a behavioral therapist and an expert on food and sugar addictions to talk about breaking up with sugar in a sustainable way that we can all do. Now, I know on this show that I have shared my breakup with sugar story before, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I honestly didn't even realize how addicted I was to sugar until I gave it up cold turkey. Since my initial breakup 10 years ago, I have mostly stayed off of sugar, but it has weaseled its way back into my life occasionally. During those times, I see that sugar gets a stronghold on me because of its addictive nature, and I break up with again, break up with it once again. One of the things that I've learned with working with women for many years to break up with sugar, it's often more than just sugar. It's cravings, and cravings are typically an unmet need. And that unmet need is driven by often fatigue. Goodness knows that was definitely for me. I always needed that little extra something to get me through the day, that little extra something to get me that energy boost to keep showing up in the world. It could also be stress. It could also be emotional burnout. Goodness knows it could be all three. So having strategies to manage cravings are so, so important. And we're going to be talking about that in today's episode. But I also wanted to create a quick little cheat sheet for you to help you banish cravings manage stress, and boost energy. This little cheat sheet is my best essential oil recipes for those three concerns. It's recipes that I use every single day because goodness knows a craving will come out of nowhere and try to Mack truck me in the middle of the afternoon. And when I have my oils, I am ready, armed, 
to banish that craving to the curb. So this cheat sheet has everything you need to get started. It's super, super easy to follow because you know I love easing grace. And you can find the link for the cheat sheet in episode, the show notes for this episode, which is 156. Well, now that you're set up for success with this amazing resource that I've created for you, I want to take a moment and celebrate you. See, every single day, I hear from new listeners who are recommended by you via iTunes, Instagram, even text message. And honestly, that's how I love to share my favorite podcast and books. I screenshot the picture and then send it to the person that I love. So let's highlight one such listener right now. Hannah from Cleveland, Ohio wrote via Facebook a couple weeks back, and here is what Hannah had to say. Recently, I was diagnosed with Hajimoto's disease, and no matter how many times... I was asked how I got it. I was just told not to worry and take the thyroid meds to get my levels back up. It was frustrating and it really upset me. A friend of mine told me about your podcast and that you had Hajimoto's too. I listened to all of your thyroid episodes and finally figured out how I got my autoimmune disease. I have now found a great functional doctor and I have Dr. Isabella's books and I'm finally healing my body. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for sharing your aha, sharing your wins. Just a major, major shout out to you today. As a person who spent most of 2019 getting myself into Hajimoto's remission, I completely relate to your story, and I'm grateful that you've got a doctor who you're working with and that you've got Dr. Isabella's Hajimoto's books. Yes, I love her. She's one of my dearest friends. You are very, and you're in great hands. Now, I would love to gift you a signed copy of my EO Hormone Solution. Part three of that book I used a lot for helping me to get into remission as well. So you can just reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Marisa, and we will get that book to you ASAP. Now, if you are listening, thank you so much for tuning in. As I mentioned earlier, this podcast is all about getting you the answers that you deserve about your body. And if any episode or interview has helped in any way, I would love to shout you out too. You can reach out to me via Insta, Facebook, or simply review this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you plug into. That way, we not only continue to support you, but we open the door for more women to gain the knowledge and the insight to become the CEO of their health. So I'm so excited to welcome Molly Carmel to on the show to connect about creating sustainable, healthy habits around sugar cravings. Before I do that, I want to sing her praises. Molly Carmel is the founder of the Beacon Program in New York City and the author of the groundbreaking book, Break Up With Sugar, A Plan to Divorce the Diet, Drop the Pounds, and Live Your Best Life. It is available right now everywhere books are sold. After battling an eating disorder for over 20 years and finding no solution in available treatment, she began a professional path and has never looked back. In addition to her extensive training in substance use and eating disorders, Molly is intensely trained in and has an undying love for dialectic behavioral therapy. Her work has been featured on the Today Show, Dr. Oz, Dateline, and Anderson Cooper 360, and so many more publications. Let's welcome her on the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Molly Carmel. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Dr. Maritza. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh my gosh, it is such a pleasure. You have no idea. When your book came into my house, when it got delivered and I saw the title, I was, I was like, this is, we are the same people. We're the same 
kind of spirit animal. I was so oh. excited to get the book. It is all about breaking up with sugar. And I'm so excited for you to have this conversation with me today. This is an area of focus that I love to talk about. I recognize people already know how I feel about sugar. I talk about it all the time here on the show. But I'm really excited for you to really kind of dive us into kind of some of the biggest concerns here. But before we do that, I would love to hear, I have a feeling you've got a break up with sugar story. Oh, do I ever? <laughs> That's an understatement. That's an understatement. So I have a really long and arduous history with food and weight. You know, I was put on my first diet at the age of seven. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, my relationship with food from the age of seven looked like go on a diet, fail on a diet, turn to sugar, go on a diet, fail on a diet, turn to sugar over and over and over again. I mean, and I'm talking serious, like to the tune of 325 pounds to like real deep demoralization, right? To like near suicidal feelings. And so much so that I actually became an eating disorder specialist, you know, like trying to really heal myself. And it's an interesting thing about this relationship with food and specifically this relationship with sugar, because sugar, like it soothed me, made me feel, you know, really nurtured when I would have these failures, which by the way, were not my fault. I could talk about the diet industry all day. And so in many ways, I thought that sugar was my solution. It really felt that way. And I think that that's kind of the bind we get in when we get into an unhealthy relationship with sugar. It feels like our solution and yet it's our problem. And I knew that it was my problem because when I broke up with it, everything got so much better, right? I wasn't like worried that I was going to be putting on weight or I wasn't worried about these demoralizing binges that I would go on. You know, I, I was able to take risks. I was more hopeful. All the relationships in my life got better. I mean, it's really was like turning my life from black and white into color. It was an incredible find. When you decided to break up with sugar, when did you realize that that may have been part of the problem? That may have been the issue what was that realization? I know for me, I have a, I have my own breakup with sugar story. I've told it many times over the years. It was kind of this defining moment. I was in practice working with another doctor and we would do these like 2 PM runs to Pete's coffee. And over the course of a couple of months, this little French bakery had opened down the street from the Pete's coffee on our way back to the office. And initially they were giving us little samples of little treats that they were making in the French bakery. And all of a sudden it became this afternoon ritual every single day where we would go and get this coffee, which by the way, was like Americanos. We weren't putting sugar or anything <laughs> right. in them because we were, so, we were so specific about not doing that. But then we would stop off at the French bakery and get a little something. Like it became our routine. About two months or three months go by and the friend of mine, the other doctor, she was breaking out all on her neck and kind of her chin area. And we were putting on weight, our clothes weren't fitting anymore. And like, we knew we could attribute it to this little trip we were making every single day. So we decided to cold turkey, break up with sugar from October 15th to Thanksgiving that year, this was back in 2011. And it was, 
it, that first week I was, I literally thought I would have dreams where I would cheat and have a cookie and because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we had, we had, we had made this accountability bet. I don't even know if we had money on the table or not, but I remember that first couple of weeks were so, so hard. We got to Thanksgiving and I decided to continue on until the new year that year. So I had completely get, got rid of any processed sugar of any kind from October 15th to the end of the year. And it completely changed everything for me. The more clarity, more energy, clearly weight loss. I mean, I just had no idea how much of a stronghold that sugar had on my life and on my body until I gave it up. Totally. You know, I think for me, I've been an addictions therapist and an eating disorders therapist my whole life. And I was trained in the low fat eating model. And I was in practice, helping people to find healthy relationships with food and weight. And they, they couldn't get better. They were binging, you know, back in the day, right? Back in the early 90s, they were binging on honey mustard pretzels and Sour Patch Kids and jelly sandwiches, all things. And snack wells, right? Oh, God, remember those snack wells. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, the beauty of, and, and kind of the spirituality of my own path is that my own path has always paralleled my professional path. And so I was going home and doing those same things. And it's like, I couldn't sleep at night. Like I wasn't getting better. They weren't getting better. I was an eating disorders therapist, gaining weight hand over fist. And this, re- and so at that time, doc- Dr. Robert Lustig's the sugar, the bitter truth was getting popular, but I need to tell you something like I was guarding sugar, like, like my life depended upon it. Like I would have jumped off the Brooklyn bridge before I wanted to give up sugar. You know, like I was the great love of my life. You know, the thing that I've really found is that the thing that really parallels with an unhealthy relationship with sugar is an unhealthy relationship with dieting, right? We really need to divorce dieting too, because we need to be able to create a relationship. But in this moment, my brother and my best friend, George had done paleo. And I was always down for a quick fix, you know, like, so I decided paleo meant no sugar, no flour, no grains, no nothing. Right. And so I did it. And as an addictions therapist, like what you're saying, I got like sweats, I got irritable, I couldn't sleep. And in my addictions therapist brain, I was like, Molly, you're going through detox right now. Like, this is a very serious problem. And I came to terms with the idea that like, I really had an unhealthy relationship with sugar and it was impacting my body, my endocrine system, my, my nervous system, my emotions, my spirit, like all of the things. And yeah, like, just like you, it was, it was like very much by accident that I did this. But since I've done it, I don't know if you feel this way, Dr. Marie, to like, I would not go like that. It is not something I would ever want to go back to doing because my life has become so colorful and rich as a result. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think about that time in 2000, I can't really recall if it was 10 or 11. So almost 10 years ago, this went down. And it's not to say I'm not pretending and and I'm not going to tell you that I haven't had sugar since then. And I definitely have had bouts, you know, where you know, it's interesting. And we're going to talk about the, the addictive nature of sugar in just a moment. I'm super excited for you to dive into that. But what I'll find happens, let's say I'll have a little something like I'll have a an ice cream or, you know, and then I find that sugar kind of like you start allowing it to come back in and to come back in. And so though there have been little moments in my life where it's come back in and, you know, within a couple of months, I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And, and I have to rail it back. The one thing I can say is that it's only been every, like maybe in bouts of two months, but it's the first thing I just let go of. And so I, I've gone, I've gone up to a year without eating processed sugar. 
which can be challenging, especially for the holiday season. But I've been really clear in communicating with my family where I stand and, and why I'm doing it. And pretty much everyone seems to be relatively understanding. And my family's so used to me not eating sugar that it's not a, not a weird thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. We don't get along. Sugar and I have never gotten along. It's really, well, for many, for many of us, actually, it's like, a, it's literally an abuser. And, and I know for me, I, I haven't had it for about 10 years. And of course, I've had little slips, but it's such an interesting thing about the blind spots that come with this relationship, right? Like, I can sort of, what I call like, rational lie. Like, I can rationalize, like, oh, that's like low sugar granola. It's okay. You know, oh, it's a vegan dessert. It's like the ways that I can really go against my, my real integrity and my real true North and, and bring these foods that are very harmful to me. Sometimes we train the people around us when we've been compulsively dieting so much, they're like, oh, it's no big deal. And the more I think maybe it sounds like your life is like this too. Like the more I don't eat sugar, people just know me as the no sugar person. In fact, on my birthday, my 40th birthday, my friends had a big party for me and they caught, they had like a big watermelon carved for me that into a cake. And it's amazing that people will come along when you make changes. I think if you really stick to them, you know, or don't have friends that won't or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yes. I, I love that. Let's talk a little bit about why sugar is so addictive. Cause I think we all inherently know that it is, but I don't, under, I don't think we necessarily understand to the extent. For sure. So the first thing I want to say is that the sugar that we're eating today is not the sugar in the 1940s, right? That the food industry has doped up and souped up this sugar to make it addictive, even to somebody who doesn't have a food, have a sugar addiction, right? Like, so it is, it hits your tongue and it lights up the dopamine receptors in your brain, right? So, and, and by the way, like, I love this anthropological fact that, you know, you can't find a berry that's both sweet and poisonous, right? So we're attracted to sweetness because it's safe. It's just what's happened in our current day society has made it like a hotbed for us to have an incredibly unhealthy relationship with food. You know, on your podcast, you talk so much about a woman's endocrine system. And the thing about sugar and the endocrine system, listen, all we're doing is talking about stress. Like we're stressed out. We don't sleep enough. We're always on our phones and sugar impacts your endocrine system, making your body crave more sugar when your insulin receptors are dull and there's lots of insulin in your body. It attacks the brainstem and then you're not actually able to feel full. You're craving more, more, more. And then finally, the environment supports it, right? Food is everywhere. It's easier to go grab a handful of M&Ms than it is to ask for a hug, right? And so we're really susceptible in many ways. It's like not really our fault. We're just in a real predicament because we're, we get stuck in the cycle in every area of our lives, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We're very susceptible to getting in, engaged in this unhealthy relationship with sugar. Hmm, I agree. And you know, I look a lot at the endocrine system. It's one of the areas that I look at significantly, knowing that sugar impacts the endocrine system and also the endocrine system, particularly when we're in a state of chronic perceived stress and we have cortisol kind of coursing through the system. I know that cortisol kind of hijacks our brain, particularly our prefrontal cortex, and it, it lessens our willpower. 
it's kind of like a, a two-way street in a lot of ways. And if cortisol is impacting our willpower, it's really, really difficult for us to say no to those cravings as well. Right. And I think also the studies on sleep are showing that we crave more sweet things when we have not been sleeping well. And so of course, like a craving isn't a command, but what you're saying, right, when your willpower gap is nil, right, when you're craving sugar, when you haven't realized it's a problem and you still think it's the solution, you're really set up for failure in this particular relationship. Like, of course, you're going to listen to the sweet sound of sugar when it's calling you in the middle of the night, telling you that's going to help you to feel better, help you to numb out, help to soothe you. Because the fact is short term, that's what it does. But the long term implications, body, mind and spirit are not worth it, in my opinion, in the end. Hmm. It can be such a challenge. You know, I know that when people are feeling stressed, whether they're feeling, you know, I always say cravings are an unmet need, whether you're stressed, or you've got emotional stuff, or you're, you're exhausted, and you just need something to fill in that gap. It's, it's so easy to say yes to that. Especially when once you're working with sugar, as you mentioned, it is so addictive and it just becomes this really vicious cycle. Well, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, once once we began to recognize, I know that first step is really self-awareness, kind of looking at yourself and thinking, huh, maybe there is something to this. Maybe, maybe I should give a break, like I should break up with sugar for a little bit. One of the things you talk about is that intuitive eating or moderation doesn't necessarily work for most people. Well, I don't know what works for most people, but the people who I help and that I know in my practice, it doesn't work for them. People who are in an unhealthy relationship with food, it's very, very hard. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense from a biochemical perspective, right? When sugar is hijacking your brain, your intuition is clouded, right? So it's not that I don't believe in intuitive eating. I don't believe in intuitive eating when your brain is hijacked by sugar. But by breaking up with sugar, you forge a pathway to create an intuition around food, which I think is all of our great desires. And you can really hear yourself. And you know, the thing about this abusive relationship with sugar is it really can wreck a relationship with yourself, right? Like when you're making promises to yourself and breaking them by 10 o'clock in the morning, like that does something to your spirit, right? And so I think in breaking up with sugar and really finding your core values and your intuition, you can learn to trust yourself again. You know, I have a client, Amanda, and she tells this story about, you know, she was about 60 days into breaking up with sugar and she's at a steakhouse with her husband and She's eating, you know, no sugar on her plan. And, and she has this feeling of, of satiety. She feels full and she starts crying, right? Like, like this is, this is an unimaginable thing for her, but what happened with you and I both know is that her dopamine system and her endocrine system finally regulated, right? And she was able to be eating food that loves her back and able to truly know what works for her. And I think when we're when we're locked and loaded in this relationship with sugar, it's I, I think when we're trying intuitive eating, when we're in an abusive relationship with sugar, we're setting ourselves up for more demoralization and more failure. So it's not that it doesn't work per se, right? It's just that as a first step, it might not be working for people. We need a little bit more of, of a foundation, you know, we've sort of wrecked up our foundation by what we've been doing to ourselves. 
given the struggle, given the complication, and, and you and I both from experience giving up sugar, I know that those that first kind of week or two can be really challenging. Are there tips for setting people up for success when they decide they want to break up with sugar? Like I, one of the things I did was I got rid of all of it in the house. I don't, and it's until this day, like my mom and my sister call my, my house, the boring house, because there is literally, there is no sugar to be found like at all inside of the house. Not even, we don't have grains in the house. We don't have bread or chips or anything like that in the house. And so at some point there's going to be that unmet need, however it looks. And if those options aren't there in the house, we just make other options. Usually I drink sparkling water or something like that with lemon. And so how can we, how can we ensure, like if we decide, okay, after the new year, because it's probably when people are going to try to do this. Um, and this is, you know, this is when this will be available for people. After the new year, I decided I want to break up with sugar. Is there an amount of time that one should do it? Is there, are there things that we can do to set ourselves up for success? What I've found in, in my long career doing this with people is there's never a good time, but January 1st is a good, as good of a time as any. And, you know, I agree with you about taking the food out of your house. I actually think it's one of the most loving things you can do. And what my clients always say to me is like, well, what about my husband? And what about my kids? And like, not everybody's so loving about our changes and that's okay. So if you can't get all of the food out of your house, can you get the sugary food that really talks to you. And you know what I mean by that, right? If it were my house, that would be like all the shortbread, all the muffins, all the granola immediately, if not sooner, right? And then I think if you're, you're really in an unhealthy relationship with sugar, like the story I was telling about my breakup with sugar, like it is likely that you're going to have some detox, right? And so to think about treating yourself in a loving way for those first you know, week or so, like maybe can you not be you know, learning a new skill, you know, maybe can you not be going to do really hard things, right? Really keeping it, keeping it simple, maybe not traveling. And the other thing I think is so important, you know, they say the opposite of addiction is connection, right? So when you're making a change like this, it's really important to let your, what I call your power circle. No, the supportive people in your life who are there to like root you on, not the ones that are like, why are you doing that? Who's going to eat cake with me now? Those are not the people you need to let know, right? But letting the loving people in your life know and finding loving people, I think it's so, so, so important. And then the other thing, I love what you're saying. Like, of course, a craving is an unmet need. And I'm going to promise you, like, if you're breaking up with sugar, you're going to need some self-soothing, right? Because you're taking the soothing out. When we go back to sugar, we actually reignite the chemical piece of this too. So we want to try to, by all means, if we're breaking up a sugar, not go back to sugar. And so thinking about these things, which a lot of people like nod their head when I say this in, in real disbelief that I'm making the suggestion, but this is where like self-massage and taking a bubble bath and snuggling with your cat, like even though it doesn't feel like as quote unquote great as sugar to turn to these things, we actually have to learn new soothing techniques that sugar held the space for, or else we can't ever have a full breakup. We're always going to go back to our lover. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That makes so much sense. So really setting ourselves up for success by having those people around us that are going to support us. And that makes, that makes absolutely so much sense. Do you ever recommend having an accountability partner, finding someone oh who can do it with you? 
I love an accountability. I love an accountability group. Like nobody loves, I mean, I love community. I think it's almost impossible to do this on your own, you know? And so I think the more people you have rooting you on, nodding your head, you know, it's like Brene Brown's um, evidence on shame, right? Like when we have empathy and truth telling, we're not shamed anymore. And this can get really shame-based. If you're in a really unhealthy relationship with sugar, you know, that's demoralizing binges. That's giving up on yourself all the time. Like you need all the loving support you can get. You know, there's a lot of online communities. There's some 12-step help you can get. There's more help out there than I think people recognize that is cost-free. And it's like, we, we need each other through this. We need each other through this to find a loving and healthy relationship with food and with ourselves. Like that's the hidden promise in all of this. And I don't know if this is, you've experienced this, and I certainly have, like my creativity is increased. My connection is increased. My ability to take risks. I wrote a book, you know, like that's a function of giving up sugar. So I think thinking about it like a, a big, beautiful project and, and taking the time to set yourself up to really have this breakup is going to really help people to do it for the last time. That's what I would say to people. I want this to be the last time you're telling me your diet history. Mm, I hear that. Now let's say we're in the middle of our sugar breakup. How do we manage? I have some recommendations here too, but how do we manage urges and cravings, right? Because as I mentioned before, they're, they're oftentimes, it's not like you're, I always, I always say your liver never wanted that cupcake. You know? <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, your body was never looking for that. And so that craving's coming from somewhere else. You know, it, it's not, it's not nourishing food. I always say foods either move us closer or further away from inflammation. And I think sugar is definitely a powerful inflammatory product. And so what, what are some of your recommendations outside of a, I think a community group and having accountability and having people who are loving up on you and supporting you. It's so, so big here. Are there other things that we can do to manage cravings and urges? Well, it's so interesting when I was in my unhealthy relationship with sugar, I really thought that when I was craving sugar, I needed sugar to make me feel better. You know, the evidence only says that is entirely wrong. And so we get into this real rational lie. And what, what I need to say, you know, I, I, I'm a dialectical behavioral therapy therapist. And what we know in that particular treatment model is until we can take sugar off the table as a nurturing skill, we actually can't get well, you know? And that's why if you've been trapped in the diet drama and trauma, you know, us making these suggestions is not the first time someone said to you, Hey, why don't you try journaling instead of going to sugar? Why don't you try, you know, going and hugging your spouse instead of turning to sugar? Why don't you exactly what you're saying? Why don't you go try to meet the emotional need that you have? But first things first, we have to make a decision that we're not going to turn to sugar in those hard times. Because if there's a little bit of a slice of a door open, sugar is probably going to win. And let me tell you something, you know, I have this client, Margie, like I made this suggestion to her, like journaling instead of, you know, eating M&Ms when she was watching The Bachelor. And I literally thought my life was at risk. You know, she was like, are you joking, Molly? This is crazy. I thought you understood me. But as she tried this journaling and knitting and all of these things, A, something I think happens when you're trapped in an abusive relationship with sugar is you, you sort of lose yourself, which means you lose knowing what you're interested in, your passions, your hobbies. Like this woman knits more sweaters and scarves. I mean, it's really a beautiful thing. And I think that she was able to like enjoy her life more. So the thing I would say is, you know, 
get your mind really open. I mean, something that diet drama and trauma is done by our repeated failures and, oh, I've heard that before and, oh, I'm sure I should try that, is that we don't actually try the things that work. And the only way we're going to get out of an abusive relationship with sugar is if we get new things into our beautiful toolbox to try. And of course, it's not going to give you like the same high as sugar, but it's also not going to lead you to feeling hopeless and demoralized. And I I call them sort of right-sized skills in that way. And um, I think that it's the most important thing that somebody can do is learn how to live a really happy life exactly what you're saying, like treating the feelings that we're having instead of having sugar numb you and then make you feel worse. We don't think about it in that way, right? Because we think really short term when we're having an urge. I want to fix this right now. I'm not thinking about how this is adding to the story of me not being able to to break out of this relationship. Mm. I love that. It makes so much sense. I really appreciate you looking at it a different way. I have a couple of different things that I recommend when it comes to those urges. I mean, one, just setting yourself up for success. How are you eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner? You know, ensuring that you're feeling satisfied. But one of my other favorite things is I love essential oils. And, and one of my favorite oils is peppermint oil. And peppermint has been scientifically researched to ward off cravings. And you just breathe it in. And I always say, you know, a craving lasts about 90 seconds to two minutes, give or take. Now you can correct me if that's correct. That's what I read. And I will say that you can do a lot of damage in about two minutes time. To say the least. Yeah. yeah, to say the least. And, but if, you know, if you have an oil, you have a little, you know, you have something you can like a peppermint or a grapefruit that you can breathe in, it will reset those urges and those cravings. Now, if you still stay in the kitchen and look at the cupboard after you do that, you know, that craving's going to probably come back. But you, if you walk, I would say, grab that oil, smell it and walk away. And, you know, I've worked with so many women over the years who, you know, if those cravings come on out of nowhere, so often I've had women, I'm sure you've same thing where they're just like, I don't even know where they come from. Like it's just at three o'clock or five o'clock or whatever. I always tell women a journal to kind of figure out what those triggers are, but it'll just come on and just kind of Mack truck you. And I feel if you don't have some type of skill or some type of tool to turn to, it can really, it can really throw you off guard. And so I really love that idea of having a journal or having a distraction, something that you do instead of when those cravings come on. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about when you were just saying that is, you know, something that the the diet industry has had us do is forget the idea that we can repair things. Right. And so I always like to say, you know, we can be doing something at four o'clock in the afternoon and be doing something different at 401. You know, the way that we behave with food when we like make a mistake of sorts is that we make it much, much, much worse. Like I had a bite of a cookie. Okay, well, I may as well go have the whole sleeve and I'll go have some frozen yogurt after this. And to me, that's akin to getting a flat tire, getting out of the car and slicing all the tires, right? And so I think the other thing I would really encourage people to remember is this didn't go down on a bite of a cookie, right? This unhealthy relationship didn't go down on a bite of a cookie and then repairing the harm that you caused yourself as a result of that. You know, we have to start to think about our healthy relationships in our lives and how we behave there. Like if I have a hard day at work, I don't quit my job. But somehow, if we're really trying in earnest to break up with sugar and we go back to sugar, it's like, then just get right back on. We don't think that way. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't think about it in these very simplistic terms, which is, hey, can you just try really hard? 
and make this commitment that you're not going to give up no matter what, that no bump in the road or little slip is going to stop this breakup. It's like, it's a little bit of what we call in, in Buddhism, like a, like a beginner's mind. Like you really have to go at this. Like you've never done it before. Cause we have a lot of history that supports that we can't do it. And we can't buy into that history. if We're really going to have a successful breakup. I absolutely agree. Any last words to inspire? I know there's probably women listening right now who are still thinking, "Uh, I'm not going to break up with sugar. (laughs) Any words of wisdom or anything you can shed light on today for us? Yeah, I want to tell you two things. First of all, in my lifetime, if you would have told me even 11 years ago that I would have been broken up with sugar, that I would never worry about gaining weight, that I would have peace around food. I didn't even know that existed, right? I would have told you you were crazy. And it's not just me. I've treated thousands of people that have found this piece too. But the thing I really want people to know is I've been an addictions therapist almost 20 years. I can't believe that. But here's the thing I would tell people, never, ever, ever give up. Never, ever, ever give up. The thing is like, we don't know what time is going to be the time that works. And if you are relentless about loving yourself and about getting into a healthy relationship with food, I promise, like we have warriors inside. This is exactly what you say, Dr. Moon. So like we can find that strength inside and use it to create this healthy relationship. Relationships are not straight paths. They have bumps and twists and turns the same with your relationship with food. But there's only two relationships that you need to have in this life. And one is with food and one is with yourself. So fight for it, my friends, fight for it, fight for it. You're so worth it. And I I believe that everybody, everybody can find this freedom. Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, I am so, so excited. Thank you so much, Molly, for not only coming onto the show today, but writing this book, Breaking Up With Sugar, A Plan to Divorce Diets, Drop Pounds and Live Your Best Life. I am so proud of you and I'm so grateful to you for using your expertise and shining a light on this important topic. Thank you, Dr. Rachel. It's great to, great to get to talk to you. Absolutely. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. I'm not going to lie. I really loved Molly's take on breaking up with sugar. She and I both recognize the devastating impact that sugar has on our bodies. It leads to obesity, dementia, heart disease, and inflammation across the board. Now, if you've been thinking about breaking up with sugar and want a perfect game plan to support your journey, I highly recommend that you grab Molly's new book, Breaking Up With Sugar, A Plan to Divorce the Diets, Drop the Pounds, and Live Your Best Life. It is available now, and it's amazing. I will have the link in the show notes. Also, if you are ready to conquer those cravings, I've got these cheat sheet for you. I know that cravings are unexpected and those urges can happen out of nowhere, especially after the holidays. Definitely grab the cheat sheet so that you are set up for success even before the craving hits. Now, both links are going to be in the show notes for episode 156, or you can go to the website, drmarisa.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. On the upcoming episode, I'm excited to interview both Vanessa and Adam Lambert. They're an incredible couple committed to helping you transform your life. And I think it's the best time of the year to consider some powerful transformations. I know you're going to love them as much as I do. Until then, have an amazing day. 